0: So an accredited investor is basically you qualify in three areas. So either it's by income, by financial assets, or by total assets. You can meet the definition with one of those three. So the first one being by income. So you, have to, you, have, you need to make at least $200,000 a year or more for the past two years. Or $300,000 combined with your spouse. Okay, so that's one qualification to be an accredited investor. Second one would be financial assets. So these are liquid assets. So you couldn't include your house in this, right? Because real estate is considered an illiquid asset, right? You can't just go and, you know, a couple clicks of the keyboard and it's, you know, you get your money back tomorrow, right? It doesn't work that way, right?
1: (laughs) You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferjee, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008.
2: Hey, fellow Savvy Real Estate investors, we have Dino Caruso on our show today. Dino is a private wealth advisor at RainTree, where he helps his clients navigate the world of investing and really works hard around the needs of each individual client. We got to talk to Dino about the world of private versus public investments and how they work. Dino believes that a mixture of both is the most successful strategy for building wealth long-term.
3: For those of you who may or may not have followed our story, for the last several years, we have been investing in larger multifamily properties and utilizing the private equity model to purchase large institutional assets in the United States. Obviously, selfishly, for this reason, we were particularly interested in how Dino navigates private investments in real estate holdings, and even development for his clients. So I know that many of you are active real estate investors, or you're interested in real estate, but I'm sure there's many of you who are also invested in the stock market, As I know many people are diversified, Um, there's lots of great information in here for everyone. So here's Dino. Hello, Savvy Investors.
2: We have a very special guest today, Dino Caruso on our show. And we're really excited to talk to to you, Dino, today uh, to tell us a little bit about a different spin, the private capital markets and how all that works. But starting off maybe give us an introduction as to uh who you are uh, how you started in this uh real estate space you know where you have a ton of entrepreneurship and uh business experience and investment experience how you got into all this uh this space
0: Well first of all th- thanks for having me I appreciate being here and this is uh, just be full disclosure I'm a newbie so this is completely new to me I've never done or been part of a podcast before so you know <laughs> Excuse my you know, interruptions as I go through this. I'm, I'm learning as we go, but pl- pleasure to be here. Um, so, so my experience, so I, I, I kind of have a checkered past in, in this a little bit because uh, this is my second career in life. So I owned another business completely unrelated to this for 18 years. I'm actually a tech guy. So I went to school, computer science and business and, you know, spent, you know, the early part of my career working with software companies and different types of tech and consulting companies, which eventually led me to my own business um, that specialized in uh, weather and traffic instrumentation, which is obviously very niche market stuff. And I could get into a very long story what that's all about, but I won't. But through that time period, it was a successful business. Uh, I know, mean, I'm not, not going to say it was an easy business because like with any business, when you first start, it's, uh, it's quite challenging, right? Usually the first couple of few years is, you know, you're not making a lot of money and you're, you know, plowing a lot of money back into that business and trying to grow the business. But uh, anyway, through going through that process, um, you know, I started to make money and I had to find a home for my money. Um, you know, what, what do I do to continually what, you know, what things can I participate in to continue to grow and protect my wealth? So like most businessmen that, you know, kind of dip your toe in the water, my first, you know, similar to you guys is I got into real estate. So I started buying, you know, rental properties and investment properties, uh, either directly or in sometimes, you know, small syndications, you know, just a small group of investors. Uh, And then I was also exposed to uh, lending. So I was lending out on, on mortgages and other things. And that kind of led me in and around some individuals that brought, started to bring me ideas in what we refer to today as the private market investing. Um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because, you know, there's, there's an old commercial to say that, you know, I love the product so much I bought the company. Right. So, um, you know, <laughs> I think it was a company that made, uh, razors, electric razors. Um, so anyway, I was investing my own money in some of these things and then as time went on um I was kind of getting burnt out in my old business and uh it was you know if you can imagine I traveled a lot uh had a lot of responsibility and then as I got older you know it was just kind of wearing on me and um uh, and I had a strong interest in investing you know and I just love everything about it right I love new ideas new opportunities you know, the potential to grow economies and help people and, you know, all the good things that most of us, uh, you know, like to be part of. I was spending a lot of time doing a lot of research and, and, uh, learning a lot about these things on my own, because there's no school that you can just go to and, you know, just automatically take a course and you're going to be an expert in, in in these things. You know, you gotta, you gotta kind of learn on your own. Anyway, the, uh, you know, one day my, my wife saw me at the, you know, the kitchen table reading bunch of stuff, you know, regarding investing. And she knew I was a bit frustrated and burnt out with my old business. And she just kind of said to me, she says, well, why don't you just do that? And I, and I said, what do you mean? She says, well, you spent so much time reading about this stuff and telling me about all these different types of investments. She says, just do that. And I'm like, kind of had a bit of a light bulb moment, right? I was like, oh, I never really thought that I could, you know, change my career, you know, midstream and go do something completely different." So. Anyway, had a bit of a light bulb moment and then, uh, you know, thought about it for a bit and started to explore, well, what does it take, right? How do you get into this business? How do you, you know, become an advisor, you know, which regulations, what kind of certifications, licenses, just everything required uh, to get in the business, which companies do you work with, right? I mean, it was, you know, I, I had some knowledge, but certainly not that type of in-depth knowledge. So uh, I made the decision one day and, uh, you know, literally had to go back to school. Um, so I did that part time while still running the other business, and uh, eventually got myself uh, licensed and uh, got into the business. So I, c- I come into this a little bit differently than than many others uh, that have maybe been in financial services their whole lives. Um, you know, I've I've transitioned from you know being a, a private investor to actually being an advisor. So many of my clients actually appreciate that because I do bring kind of a different uh, perspective when looking at some of these things and not just, you know, coming from the financial services side and just having that bent on, uh, on, on, you know, whatever someone's interested in investing in.
3: Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, Everyone's journey is different. And I think, yeah, it definitely brings a different perspective when you've been on the other side of it. Right. So you have been your client, um, you know, looking for an avenue as to how you can deploy your capital and, um, Yeah, I think that that that, you know, that relatability is definitely a great, great asset to have. So, you know, we talk about this word like this financial services industry. Like, tell us a little bit about what what does that mean? Like, what 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 is it that you you guys actually do?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's a very high level general term and it covers everything from, you know, people or companies that sell home and auto insurance to companies that sell life insurance and related products to companies that uh, sell mutual funds and financial planning services um and then of course you know portfolio management uh you know and the banks offer all these things right it's like you know it's a very integrated industry um you know people can hold multiple licenses Um, across these financial services. So you could be, financial services could be considered a mortgage broker, right? I mean, they're, they're selling money, right? So, and even other commercial lenders, like not just in the mortgage world, but in, you know, corporate lending. Um, again, all financial services. So there's a lot. And then, of course, you've got your accountants, right? You got your accountants, you got your tax accountants, you got your, t- your tax lawyers, you got your corporate lawyers. So all of these things are all kind of part and parcel of the journey that anyone that has to touch into financial services is, is going to work with.
2: So you, you started, a, uh, you're involved in two different companies. One is Wealthable, is that correct? Wealthable. Wealthable, okay. I'm glad you corrected me. Wealthable, uh, tell us a little bit about Wealthable and, and what what that company does.
0: Okay, so um, basically, we are um, involved in two in two businesses, and we keep them separate. Um, one of those businesses is Wealthable, and Wealthable provides um, financial services and business services to clients. So those financial services, specifically, that Wealthable is involved in is uh, relates uh, in and around uh, insurance so life insurance uh, disability uh, critical illness uh, these type of products and then also offers financial planning and that's specifically under wealthable and then as well we do provide clients uh, accounting and bookkeeping support services uh, because we found a lot of clients um, you know, needed some support in those areas as well, and there is a, a direct relationship between you know financial services and accounting and bookkeeping services. So why not offer clients both? So we keep that separate um, from our private capital markets business, and there's a few reasons for that. But specifically, one of the biggest reasons is regulations. The uh, private markets um, has become has a has a very heavy compliance burden on it and heavy regulation on it. And, and it's, and, you know, although that can be, you know, challenging at some points um, it's good for investors and it's good for the industry overall, because at one time, if we look further back, you know, it was a little bit of the wild west. Right. So, you know, private markets, you know, you were you know, you had guys out there pitching opportunities to probably to investors that shouldn't be looking at these type of opportunities for various reasons. So we keep the two businesses completely separate. Now, is there a potential for crossover where a client, you know, may have, you know, got some insurance through us and said, okay, I want you to help me, you know, with some other types of investing. Yes, we we can assist with that, but we need to make a full disclosure about it.
2: And so, so tell us why, what is the difference between a private capital investment versus, you know, the, the public markets and why you think that's such a, you know, it provides much better returns with less volatility and, and so on.
0: Okay. Well, first of all, it's not the one and only place to put your money. Um, it is part of an overall strategy. So we refer to it as, in in our term with it, as we call it core and explore. So a core part of your portfolio would be typically in public markets. And we're a big believer in working with um, portfolio managers uh, versus just, you know, selling product. Um, because everybody has a different journey, they got different needs, they have different plans. So that's kind of the core part of someone's overall portfolio. The explore part is the private markets. So, and it's, the idea is, is that, you know, people that do like and want to be part of investing in private markets are looking for something different and for various reasons. Okay. So, those reasons i mean it's easy to say hey i want a you know a better rate of return well everybody wants a better rate of return i mean that's not uncommon but it's much more challenging to say how do i get there and um, and then not only how do i get there as soon as you say i want to get a better rate of return or a better you know, return on my investment then you know that comes hand in hand with in most cases with an increased risk factor um so you know you know you're you know, a government bond is basically has zero risk, right? But it pays you the least. Uh, if you look on the spectrum, and then of course it's straight up from there. So the, the more return you're looking for, the more risk you have to be willing to take on. However, saying that, um, there are opportunities that kind of fall in the middle, and you know, particularly with the work that we do as a team, um, you know, we're look we're working inside those opportunities. So yes you know, you're going to take on more risk to get better return. Um, but hopefully, you know, if we structure things correctly, we can mitigate some of that risk. And then that kind of gives you a little bit extra on return versus maybe potentially what the private, the public markets are doing. So here's some examples why people, you know, invest in, in private markets. Okay. So, um, and they're all different. Okay. So let's be clear about this. They're not, you can't look at them all the same. I mean, you guys are big real estate guys and people so that you, that so you understand that, you know, a one bedroom condo is very different from a, you know, multi-residential apartment building. The same thing applies in private markets. I mean, there's just, uh, you know, a multitude of of different types of investments available, and they should all be treated differently for different reasons. And they should, all, you know, due diligence on all of them should be, you know, tr- treated differently as well, um, you know, because you could own many private market opportunities, um, and some of them may be riskier than others. You know, some of them may have longer track records than others. Uh, Some of them might pay distributions and have some free cash flow and others don't. Uh, Some of them have very long uh, hold periods and some of them have shorter hold periods. And they span across all industries and all sectors. So, you know, generally, um, some things that, you know, that people look for in private markets is first and foremost, is they do look for the potential for higher growth. Okay, so some sort of better risk-adjusted return compared to maybe what they're getting with their other investments. Also, you know, you could look at things as, you know, you know, if someone that, for example, is looking for some, some income. Um, you know, they're looking at, you know, some different opportunities in private markets that can provide a unique um, access to income, which you may not see in public markets. Um, and then, of course, there's always the discussion around planning and tax. So some of these opportunities offer some beneficial tax treatment uh, compared to traditional investing. Um, and then, you know, in some cases, you know, you have uh, opportunities where, you know, people are looking for some sort of a pre, pre-IPO. So, you know, many companies start out private before they ever go public. Um, you know, it's pretty rare that a company goes straight from zero to public. Um, so there's a kind of that growth period. And if you're willing and identify an opportunity that, you know, m- might, you know, fit with, with your style of investing, then there are some pre IPO opportunities that in some cases can, can potentially provide some high growth. Um, and then, uh, as well, um, you know, you get access to markets that, you know, you may not see again in public markets. Um, here's an example, um, you know. Traditionally, we see a lot of different businesses in public markets. You know, tech is big, industrials are big, transport is big, you know, biomedical. I mean, there's a multitude of, of sectors and industries available in public markets and in all different sizes of businesses. But um, here's an example. We, we've got a particular investment, in, and I can get into many of these, but, so, but I, I won't at this point. I'm just citing an example. Uh, we've got a fund that specializes in owning and operating dental practices. I don't think you could find something like that on the public markets. I don't think you could go to the TSX or, or the New York Stock Exchange and say, oh, I, I want to I invest in dental practices. First of all, there's nobody, nobody's going to tell you that's even available, but that's a unique opportunity that we have available. Right? So if you want to invest in healthcare and you want to be on that end of healthcare, we have something that's investors that potentially might be interested.
2: Wow. Interesting. For
3: yeah. Sure, Yeah, definitely. Cool. So tell us about how you find and vet opportunities like, uh, you know, are, for example, like a fund like that. How does you, how does your company get involved in things like that?
0: Okay. So there's, there's many players in this industry. So saying that in most cases, these businesses come to us. So, I mean, although we're actively looking for opportunities, in many cases, they come to us. Henceforth, one reason I choose to work with a company like Raintree. So Raintree is a specialty in this area. They've been doing it for many years and they have a very strong corporate finance team. And the corporate finance team is really the team that's doing the due diligence on these opportunities. I don't go out myself and actively look for these opportunities because first of all it takes a tremendous amount of effort and time to do the due diligence because the information isn't as easily accessible as it what you would see with a publicly listed company so a publicly listed company you know they they're they they got to put their financials out there quarterly they're doing you know general uh, annual general meetings you know they've got all kinds of reporting and and stats and all this kind of stuff Public in private markets, I mean, that's not as readily accessible. Like, right? it's not just you know you can't just go on Google and find this information, right? So you need to have meetings with with these companies and you know have a process for doing the due diligence. So our corporate finance team does that. That's their job. Um, so they're there. So I can't say that I look for these things and I recommend them to clients. It's our corporate finance team. And from a regulatory perspective, um, you know, you have to work with a dealer. And that dealer's product shelf, so i.e. the investments that have available to clients, they're the ones that you represent. And those are the only ones you're allowed to represent. So it's not a question that I can just go off and, you know, meet some guys in a pub and have a discussion and say, oh yeah, I'm going to go raise money for you guys. So no, that's not how it works. If someone did bring an opportunity to me or through my travels, and, and this has happened actually uh, Quite regularly, if if I bump into something that there is an opportunity that I think, oh, maybe this thing has some legs attached to it, I bring it to our corporate finance team. So I basically make the introduction. I say, okay, this is this this is the business. This is what they're trying to do. This is the opportunity. I'll let the experts and the analysts handle it. Not me. That's not my job.
2: So uh, tell us how. Okay, w- let's say you know your typical client they come to you. What sort of a uh, portfolio would you create for them? Are you gonna assess like, you know, know your client kind of thing and, and their risk and their age and what what would that process sort of look like? Right. So you touched on some of those things.
0: Um so certainly doing the KYC know your client is mandatory now. It's not, you know, sort of kind of like we and we go quite into depth with our clients with regards to this. Because first of all, we need to meet the, the regulatory requirements. Um, and we want to do the right thing for the client so uh, there's a few things that come to mind so one of course is you know what is their current portfolio look like you know where you know where have they been investing and what has their experience been so because th- there's it's one side of it you know where it's very black and white where you say I have x dollars and this is the amount of time I've been invested and this is where I'm invested today okay and this is where I want to go you know this is my Time period, I'm going to be invested. You know, I say, like, I might be, you know, 10 years away from retirement. I might be 20 years or 25 years away from retirement. You know, again, that's a very two different strategies, right? So the closer you get to retirement, the less risk you're going to take on, right? So when you're younger, you can take on more risk. Um, So the process really is so we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of understanding someone's current financial position, similarly to how someone, you know, would. Would qualify for a mortgage. You know, we're kind of going through the same steps where we're collecting very similar information um, because we need to know what their income looks like. We need to know what their pensions or non-pensions look like, what their RSPs and TFSA's, their RESP's. How many kids do you have? Um, you know, just all this type of information, and so that allows us to determine their capacity to invest. Right, so we can say, hey, you have this amount of capacity, so. We may look at your portfolio and, you know, let's say you have like just for round numbers. It's a, it's a million dollar portfolio currently. Um, and it's, you know, primarily spread across public market investing. We may make the recommendation that, well, you should maybe consider 10% of that overall portfolio to go into private markets. And then in some cases, we might say, well, you know, potentially you, you could go up to highest 40% into public market, into private markets. But what, what comes into question at that point is suitability. So, suitability comes into not only the capacity, the ability to make that investment, but what is your emotional fortitude? So, have you gone through the experience of losing money? Have you gone through the experience of a downturn in the market? And how did you deal with that? How did you recover from that? Were you okay with it? Were you able to sleep at night? You know, like some people, don't have the same, you know, risk uh, ability that others do, right? Some people are like, yeah, well, you know, I lost $20,000 today, but I'll be good by next month or next year. It's fine by me, right? Where other people, it just keeps them up all night. So that's a real discussion that we have with clients. So, you know, that's part of the process. And then as well, we want to make sure that if we are making a recommendation that the client fully understands the type of investments that they're getting into. And my personal style is that I don't want any client to take a big bet on anything. So fortunately, because of the firm that I'm licensed through, through Braintree, we've got a number of investments available. So meaning that we can now spread that money around in multiple investments instead of maybe just a few. And that is a risk mitigation strategy, right? So if you, if you were investing 100000 well, you might put it across four or five investments versus two, right? Because if one went sideways or didn't do well, then there's, that's a big difference, losing 50% of your money versus losing you know, 10 or 20% on an investment of your overall private uh, portfolio. And then if you compare that to your overall size portfolio, we really try and stick to something below you know, five, less than 5% of your overall portfolio in a single issuer right? So if you had a million dollars, you probably wouldn't want to put more than 50,000 or less into a single issuer. Okay. Now, in most cases, um, there, you have to also qualify as a, um, what type of investor are you as per the regulations um, in, in the Securities Commission? And there's different types of investors. Most of us hear about the term being an accredited investor. So an accredited investor is basically you qualify in three areas. So either it's by income, by financial assets, or by total assets. You can meet the definition with one of those three. So the first one being by income. So you, have to, you, have, you need to make at least $200,000 a year or more for the past two years. Or $300,000 combined with your spouse. Okay, so that's one qualification to be an accredited investor. Second one would be financial assets. So these are liquid assets. So you couldn't include your house in this right? Because uh, real estate is considered an illiquid asset, right? You can't just go and, you know, a couple clicks of the keyboard and it's, you know, you get your money back tomorrow, right? Like it doesn't work that way, right? <laughs> um, so um, so in that case, that's you need to have at least a million or more in liquid or financial assets, okay? Or you have 5 million or more in total assets. So in, in any one of those three, you qualify as an accredited investor. Outside of that, you can also be a registrant or a registered individual in the financial services industry. That also makes you an accredited investor. So people that are in the industry can, are qualified as an accredited investor. A few years ago, uh, they also came up with um, something called an eligible investor. So an eligible investor was someone who would be defined really with probably most of the general market that's out there, the retail market that's investing. And that's someone that makes at least $75,000 a year or more, or one hundred and twenty-five dollars with their spouse, um, and or has total assets of $400,000 or more. However, those type of investors come with stricter regulations on how they're allowed to invest in private markets. So those regulations include things like, you know, you can't put more than $100,000 into private markets in a 12-month period, okay? Um, And or, you know, you want to keep a single investment, you know, below 10% of your overall portfolio. And, you know, sometimes the math doesn't work for somebody like that. So let's say, for example, someone has, you know, a $200,000 overall investment portfolio. So this includes your RSPs and your TFSAs, of course, you know, and they say, well, I'd like to put 20% 20% into private markets. Okay. Well, 20%, so $40,000 out of the 200,000 could go in. You probably, in, if you're an eligible investor to try and mitigate as much risk as possible, you're probably going to look at you know less than $10,000 $10, individual investments. So you end up with about four different investments, which in my mind is not enough of a risk mitigation strategy because you could potentially lose... You know, if something went sideways, because there's always that potential. Not, you know, certainly, you know, we we've got a pretty solid track record, but you know, there's always that risk. You know, you could lose ten thousand dollars, and then the question becomes, well, how fast can I recover from that? Do I have the ability to recover from that? And am I okay to recover from that? You know, so if you have a smaller portfolio, sometimes you know this may not be the right market for you to be investing, even though you have a strong strong risk you know, you can say, hey, listen, I'm willing to take on more risk. We as advisors have a duty to say, no, you don't. You may feel you do, but we, you know, we don't think it's a good idea for you to be taking, you know, 25 or 30 or 50% of your overall portfolio and putting it into private markets because you don't get access to liquidity in private markets. Just like you guys know in real estate, there's no quick access to liquidity. If you need money, if you lost your job, if you got sick, something happened, you know, that's, you know, traumatic in your life and you need access to money and your money's locked up in private markets and private real estate and other things that are illiquid, that's a problem. So we want to make sure that our clients are are taken care of and have access to liquidity when they need it.
2: Actually, that's a very good point um, cuz I was uh, I was just about to mention that uh like what kind of uh, an average term would these private investments be? I know every product would be different, but you know, is it a minimum time timeframe uh, and perhaps a minimum investment?
0: Right. So they're all a little bit different um, because um, they all have different structures and they're in different industries. And, you know, it depends on what they're using the money for. So typically there's not, they're, they're, they're considered an illiquid investment. So basically means, okay, if I need to get some money out, so I need to redeem, I need, you know, I need, need to make a redemption on some money. That's not a quick process in private markets. Now, there is the ability to redeem money, but in most cases, it's not really recommended that this type of investment that you're looking to redeem. If you're looking to redeem, then you've probably exhausted your other investments somewhere else, right? So this is kind of the last thing you want to think about for redeeming. So as far as time periods go, for the most part, we let clients know that this is a long-term hold. And I would say in most cases, you're looking between four to six years hold period for any of the investments that we represent. I can't speak for all, but for the ones that we represent are somewhere between four to six years on average. So call it five. Um, And in many cases, if the investment is doing well, you could continue to hold it longer. Um. There's no reason unless, you know, unless there's a hard fixed exit strategy with the investment where they say, okay, once we hit year five, we're going to, you know, have a liquidity event, we're going to sell it, we're going to go public, we're going to do something. Um, and you're going to, you know, you're going to get paid out at that point. So, you know, in most cases, it's it's considered to be a, a five-year hold on average.
3: And in terms of the private investments, um, the private equities, is it uh, mostly business sector based or do you guys have a real estate products that you offer. Um, you know, a lot of our clients are, are, a lot of the people who are listening to the show are, are heavily real estate interested. And I think that there are real estate investors out there who are, you know, would like to create diversification and perhaps uh, create passive income or passive investments in their portfolio. Is that something that is available through, through you guys?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a good chunk of our product shelf is real estate. Um, now this is definitely larger funds, and we span across all different uh, sectors within real estate. So, you know, yes, we have you know. So you've heard of REITs, right? The right. So we there's private REITs, and those REITs can vary in size. So we've got smaller ones um, that you know. And when I say smaller, like you know, less than a hundred million dollars. And then we have substantial ones that are getting into the four, or five billion dollars. Um, so, so you know, and it spans across different sectors in real estate. So we've got your typical multi-residential, right, which you guys are very familiar with, um, with companies that have very long track records with great success, right? So you know, got companies that are, you know, even through good and bad times over you know, ten or fifteen year plus period, um, you know you know returns in the averages of 11 to 13% which is pretty good for a passive investment you typically don't see that in public markets um and that's without you know your, your you know the the you know the bouncing around that we see in in public markets because this is not a traded security right so that's you know what, what we're seeing this year in 2022 with you know the markets being negative for the most part even the even the reits aren't you know they're they're not doing that great i mean they're doing okay but They're they're being traded. So, in this sense, you know, typical to to the guys that you know, the people that are listening to this show, um, this money is being put to work. So, there's no idle money in private markets. Right? Idle money is is a problem in private markets. Right? Because you need to make that money go to work. And in some cases, um, in some specifically in in some of these these real estate funds that we represent, they will stop accepting investors they like, there comes points where they say, you know what, we've raised enough money and we need to deploy this and use this money to make more money. So they don't want idle money and dead money sitting around doing nothing, right? Where in public markets, I mean, it's just a continuous flow of, of money going back and forth. Private markets doesn't operate that way, right? I mean, they're, they're you know, one of the big differences is that they need, they, the, the management is getting paid on success. management needs to make that money work so it's the gasoline for the engine and they got to get out there and they got to improve the assets buy more assets you know increase the you know profitability of the of the business that they're in so you know take for example i mean multi residential i mean they're looking for opportunities to buy more apartment buildings apartment buildings could be spread across various geographies right so we're not just canadian focused Uh, many of these funds are both cross-border and they have excellent track records. So we do, you know, multi-residential. We do um, self-storage. Okay, so self-storage is, is a great real estate sector because it doesn't come with the same set of regulations that you see in in multi-residential. You know, so you basically it's what the market will bear as far as you know what rent can you charge. We've got agriculture in various in a few different flavors. Um, we've actually had we've represented operating farms corporate farms you know like the dairy industry you know we've we've had opportunities in that area again that's something you're going to see in the public markets uh then owning agricultural land right and that land you know similarly is being rented and used to grow crops you know same same kind of rules apply instead of an apartment it's you know acreage of land um and then you know across the different sectors including things like commercial retail, industrial. We've got a fund that specializes in industrial real estate, which actually is is a very strong growing area in the market because of the Amazon effect, right? All the warehousing and distribution and everything associated with that. Um, so we have, uh, we have funds that specialize in that area. And then, of course, there are opportunities in development as well. So, you know, many of the ones that I've just described earlier in specific to real estate do... Uh, at least the ones that we represent have uh, a distribution or an income component attached to it. So you could get a monthly or quarterly distribution, um, you know, sent to you if you need it and or you could use it as a, uh, a drip as we call it a dividend reinvestment so that you get, uh, acquire more, uh, you know, investment into that uh, trust or a limited partnership and, or, you know. There is the growth component as well. So, you know, you're getting some income and you're getting some growth on those assets as well. So, you know, that's typical of the commercial, multi residential, self storage. I mean, there, there is obviously, as you guys are aware, there's, there's cash flow there, right? And if you run it right, there is some free cash flow that goes back to investors. And that's actually for some people, you know, a great advantage of working with some of these professional private uh, um, funds. That they don't need to get involved in the day-to-day operation of real estate, but still benefit from owning that real estate. So yeah, so that's, uh, that's some of the real estate that we do. And then I'm even, we're even down into uh, Mexico now as well. You know, Mexico, for example, has got, you know, it's the fastest growing, you know, middle class in the world. Um, and middle class demands better places to live and more businesses and more retail and more offices and more warehouse. And then, you know, cross border distribution into the U S and Canada requires all that. So there are plenty of opportunities uh, down there for, for the same reasons.
2: So um, you have, you know, few dozen investment opportunities on your shelf, on your product shelf, who, like, how do you decide which ones that you would recommend? And, and does the, does the client have a say into, hey, I, I just want to put all my money in, my, in real estate or, you know, multi-res, for example, or, 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 or do you diversify? Like, you, rec- you know, you show them the track record with each one and you're going to recommend a more of a balanced approach based on their needs, right?
0: Okay, so a couple of questions there and, 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 and I'll try and answer this as simply as I can. So first and foremost, at a high level, we are not portfolio managers. So you're not giving us your money and we're going to go invest it for you. That's, that's not what we do. It's more in line with what happens in real estate where, you know, the real estate broker or the real estate agent is introducing you to a potential investment property and it's a one to one relationship between the buyer and the seller. And that's really where we come in. Now we act as advisors and we want to make sure that these investments are suitable for our clients. So there is that discussion that happens, right? So this comes back to what I mentioned, we talked about earlier about suitability on, you know, what do they need from their investment portfolio? Like, do they need the income today or can that money be put to work and I don't really need to access it for 15 or 20 years? So certainly some people have a bias to say, I love real estate, you know, and I don't know, I haven't met anybody that doesn't, but- (laughs) you know, because it's, it is a great asset class to own for over, over a long period of time. Um, So, you know, many of our clients will have some of that and then kind of get into this different stuff where, you know, if you're an experienced investor and you've already got money in real estate and other things, and you've got exposure into public markets and, you know, maybe you're working with a portfolio manager somewhere else, you're looking for a different idea, right? So, you know, that's when it comes into the other end of our product shelf where, hey, you know what, I, I'm interested in, you know, investing in dental practices, like I mentioned earlier, or, uh, you know, we've got a fund that specializes in industrial services. So, you know, you're not going to find a fund like that in public markets that's a specialty fund. You know, we actually, believe it or not, now we've got a carbon credit fund. So carbon credits is a real business where the you know we we've all heard of you know we're the green economy and and you know um, you know different types of methods to try and curb um, you know carbon that's being emitted into the atmosphere. So that's a market. That's a market that where you've got carbon credits traded from someone that has excess carbon credits to someone that needs to buy carbon credits. So that's an in, that's a business in itself, right? So we've got an opportunity like that, right? Yeah, it's pretty unique, right? So you know. When you ask the question, it's kind of like, well, where are they in their life? Are they 55 and they're doing this or are they 40 and trying to do this? Right. What's the, you know, like the time. And then as well, there's a bias that they might have. So it's not like, you know, we're making a recommendation that you should have this and you should have that. It's more in line. Okay. Here's these five investments that kind of fit from what you've shared with us. You know, you told me that, well, I don't really need income today. I'm really more interested in growth. I've got a long-term view. Okay. Here's. A set of investments that might meet that criteria versus, hey, you know what? I, I've got, you know, I've only got five years until retirement and I want to park some of this money and eventually get some income from it. Okay, so here's the products that can assist with that, right? So, you know, and or it could be a mix, right? So I never actually push a single product over another. Um, it's more in line on what the needs of the client are.
3: No, oh, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, no, Dino. I think uh, thank you for sharing all of this with us. It's it's definitely a great conversation. I think that more people need awareness that there is different types of products. I think a lot of people are very much focused on the, you know, the the private, uh, sorry, the public, the public market. Right? They don't understand or know of private private markets and and the benefits that they can offer. So I definitely think that you know it, it's becoming more. There's more awareness now than there was before. But I think that it's a great addition to certain people's portfolio. Again, you said, like you said, depending on their, 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 yeah, if, if, life
0: I, and- if I could, uh, interject, I'd like to just add two comments to that. So one is the number of companies that are public are actually starting to decrease. There's been a downward trend in publicly available companies to invest in since 2000. So for over 20 years now, it's been a downward trend. As a matter of, matter of fact, 2000 was the peak. So and it's been a downhill trend ever since. So the number of companies available, specifically in North America, has been going downward. There has been an uptick in private market investing. And this really started to happen at the institutional level. So here's an example. Um, Canada Pension Plan, right? Biggest pension plan that we have here in, in Canada. Right? At one time, they had very limited exposure into private markets. And when I say limited, like, less than 10%. They're now 50%. So, and the reason they did that, and one, I shouldn't say not the only, but one of the many reasons that, you know, these big institutional pension funds are doing this is that they need to find opportunities to meet the mandate that they have. So, if their mandate, and it's like, for example, in Canada Pension, I believe their mandate is they need to get 6.25%. They cannot withstand or have any losses. They must meet that minimum. They can't get that in the public markets, in a diversified portfolio. They just, you're not going to, you just can't do it. There's just too many ups and downs, right? Like like we have now, we had it in 2018, a down market. We had 2020, obviously, you know, we had COVID market. Um, And then now here we are again in 2022 with downward. So what do they do? They go out to private markets and they look for opportunities there. Now, I'm not saying they're investing in the same things that we have, because obviously they need to deploy much larger sums of money. Um, you know they're not looking at a, a fifty or hundred thousand dollar investment. They add many more zeros to those uh, to those investments. Um, so, but that's an example, and that's across pretty much most institutional money. Now that's a very common trend, and whether that be Omer's or Teachers Pension Plan or others that we hear about, some of the big college endowments in the U.S. like uh, Harvard and Yale. geez, the Yale College Endowment program i mean they're mostly private markets they're mostly alternative investments they 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 have, they're, the minor part of that uh, pension plan is in public markets
3: right uh, and they get yeah, a great i, guess I was they, more referring to in like the individuals um, who are investing their funds i think that the awareness of uh, private equities yeah. is is now you know it's always behind institutions always come first right institutions right. Yeah. start they lead point. that was exactly um, my point yes, exactly yes yes, yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So because that's one reason I wanted to bring it up was certainly that, you know, that, you know, the instant, the smart money is always ahead exactly. of the retail Exactly.
2: Yeah. The high net worth already have been doing this and now it's kind of, you know, available to the public as well through the exempt market uh, channel. Exactly. And and um, and um I'm assuming these are also RSPTFSA. TFSa. Uh, eligible? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, we, you know, typically people are, you know, using their RSPs or their TFSAs or their, uh, you know, they might have a lira from a past employer. Um, yeah, we can work with all of that. And or, you know, they're using, you know, liquid cash uh, funds. Um, and we've got two. And, and again, there's a, there, are, there are different products to service both of those types of investors. So whether you're using your registered funds, there's products available for investing in private markets there. And then if you're not, then there's other products available to invest uh, different.
3: Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Thanks
2: so much for educating our listeners on this, uh, on this space. And, and um, you know, it was a very educational session.
3: Yeah, definitely. And uh, we'll definitely link, you know, some of your websites. There's the wealthable.ca, which is your, your website. And then the Rain Tree website. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you, Dino?
0: Um, well, you'll find our contact information on both of those websites. Okay.
3: okay. Fantastic. Yeah. So if anybody's interested in learning more about, uh, you know, diversified uh, portfolios, understanding some of these private investment mechanisms, passive investment mechanisms, um, definitely reach out to Dino and I'm sure he'd be happy to help. Listen, as I,
0: and I've been following you guys too. And I'm really impressed with the journey that you guys are going on. Cause I, I think I remember when I, when I first talked with you, You know, I think it was, you know, you were were just doing a couple of small renovation projects uh, with just some single family homes. Um, And now you've grown substantially. You've gone into, you know, different geographies and and uh, like, uh, you know, you haven't slowed down. That's awesome.
3: Yeah. Thanks, Dino. I appreciate it. Uh, Yeah. yeah, Thanks
2: again for being on our show and um, really appreciate your
1: time.
3: All
0: right. Thanks, guys.
1: I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.